Welcome, Twin Soul, to Sunday Snippets. We are doing this topic on what the Bible says about homosexuality, what it says about LGBTQ, and so on. Now, people refer to seven texts in the Bible, usually, to condemn it. And I just want to say this. I'm kind of pissed I have to make this. Right off the bat, there should be no reason for me to do a podcast in 2020 freaking one about what anyone says about what the Bible has to offer about this topic. And the reason I have to do this is because people fail to go within themselves, access their inner Akash, as some ancients call it, but the inner wisdom that you have within you. And once you understand that you have encoded within you the laws and dictates of love and perfection, if you meditate and you rise above the level of thought, you will realize there is no such thing as condemnation for homosexuals. There is just love. But people fail to go within themselves. And Jesus said, shame to you lawyers because you forbid people from going within themselves. So in this podcast, we will talk about homosexuality because a lot of the twin flames I work with personally, personally coach, okay? And so many twin flames in the Facebook community group have been shamed and defamed and literally excommunicated by the church. And they have grown up with so much shame for their sexuality, something as beautiful and sacred as their sexuality because of how people have interpreted the Bible for them. So we're going to go over the text that people use and shove it in your face and say, look, the Bible says this. Okay. So we're going to start off with Sodom and Gomorrah. And you probably have heard the phrase, oh yeah, like America's becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. You probably have heard that. I've heard that growing up in my white Baptist church near my house where people are, the pastor was like, yeah, America's turning into Sodom and Gomorrah. People are sleeping with themselves. And what was Sodom and Gomorrah? Two cities that were destroyed. That's where we got the term sodomy from. But if you actually read the passage of Sodom and Gomorrah, you will realize that when they talk about homosexuality, and this is what the Bible, I'm just going to preface this by saying, when the Bible talks about homosexuality, the only reason it forbids it is not because of the act, but the intention. This was Jesus's mission here to show you it's not about what you do. It's about the place it's coming from. He says, no, Adultery isn't even the worst of it, but even thinking about adultery, what he was getting at, it isn't the thing, it isn't the substance, but the space within yourself that creates it. So people reference Sodom and Gomorrah. Let's just read it. Genesis chapter, this is Genesis chapter 19, verse 4, okay? You Bible scholars out there, I'm coming for you. No, God. It says, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. What does that sound like? Does that sound like love? Does that sound like a loving, consensual partnership? Why do you think Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed? I mean, what, what is that talking about? Does that sound like the ordinary sexual relationship in the 21st century between two men or two women or two non-gender conforming individuals? 
where someone swar- surrounds the house and says, where are the- where is this person? Bring him out. Bring her out. Bring whoever out so I can have sex with them. No. This is talking about rape, people. This is talking about rape. You want here's here's the ironic part. The church who condemns homosexuality has been the perpetrators of rape themselves. They don't even talk about rape. But we talk about homosexuality in church. And we have a verse here, and this is just a perfect symbology of how we focus on one thing but espouse and encourage another. We don't talk about rape in church. But this is what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about homosexuals. Gosh. And if you want to say, okay, if you want to say that Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of homosexuality, I encourage you to read Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 to 50. And I'll read it for you because I said that I was going to use the Bible because I read the Bible and I study it. And I encourage you to do the same. And the only people who aren't getting this message is people who are reading it at face value and are not willing to dig beneath the surface. That's it. Ezekiel chapter 16, it says, Now this, verse 49, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Why was Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed? What were the specific things listed enlisted here in Ezekiel chapter 16? It says the only specific thing it said was they did not help the poor and needy. This has nothing to do with homosexuality. Nothing. It says here in your book that you're using to condemn people for being gay. The two cities that people say, oh yeah, this is turning to Sodom and Gomorrah. Really? That wasn't destroyed because of homosexuality? And the homosexuality practice there, the only reason it was detestable because it was rape. Pedestry. Forcing boys to have sex with older men. Obviously that's wrong. But guess what? That happens in the Catholic Church and no one talks about it. Can you tell that the reason I'm passionate about this is because it is 2021, 2021. And this is so obvious. You don't even need any of these texts to, to dictate what's right or wrong for you. But the reason you need bearings is because you fail to go within yourself. And yes, I'm talking to the good intentioned religious people right now. Now, people will go and use these verses, okay? After Sodom and Gomorrah, They'll go to Leviticus. They'll go to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. I'm not even going to read the verses in Leviticus. I'm not. It's not worth my time. It's not. Because it's going to say something like, oh yeah, you shouldn't sleep with your, you shouldn't sleep with that. You shouldn't, you, you should not, you should not, you should not. Leviticus is about law. Do you know what it also says? Here, let me, let me, let me read to you what Leviticus says. It says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 27, okay? In this book of law, because you that, that's what people do, right? They, they take this book of law and they take out and they excise one verse to just make a point, right? They say, oh, look, Leviticus, it says homosexuality is wrong. Do you know what it also says is wrong in Leviticus, right? They say, oh, it says, do not practice divination here. It also says, do not 
cut your bodies for the dead, or put tattoo marks on yourselves. Do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Do you do that? Do do you have tattoos? Do you cut the hair at the sides of your head? Because I do. So I'm automatically excised. I'm, I'm automatically a sinner because I don't follow these thousands of laws. Do you know how many laws there are in the Bible? I don't know. Hold on. Let me look it up real quick. How many laws are in the Bible? Okay. Wow, that didn't even type. That's funny. How many laws are in the Bible? Let's see. 613. 613. So there's 613 laws. Okay. And some of them are as trivial as not having tattoos. Or the same book says do not eat shellfish or eat pork. So what is the point? What is the greater story? See, the greater story, the greater context of this is not to follow the law because Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, look, we'll get to it in a bit, but he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Does he say love your neighbor as yourself, except if he's gay, except if he has tattoos? No, the Bible says love fulfills the law. And we'll get to that in a bit. But the reason I'm not going over the chapter of Leviticus is because it is unnecessary. The point of Leviticus is to show you how many laws that the people in this time had to show you that if you have love in your heart, that is the end all be all. The point is to over exaggerate these laws to showcase the power of love. Okay. So Romans chapter 10, verse four, to to make this point clear, it says, for Christ is the end of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And who is Christ? Christ is you. Christ is the Christ consciousness within you. When you dim your thoughts and you move to the right side of your brain and you practice the single lie as Jesus commanded and you find the kingdom of God within yourself. Okay. Another scripture that people point to is first corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 to 11 let's talk about it. it says know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of god be not deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers there's a lot of nors here nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind now what's interesting this is the king james version okay now let me read to you the the new international version the niv so that was the kjv that was just King James Version. Now, let me show you how things are lost in translation. That is the oldest translation that we have to English. This is the new one. Nor do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Where, where did it say sex with men in the old translation? Where? Okay, I just read, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, no adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It says nothing of sexual activity in a different translation. It says, nor effeminate. This word in Greek translates to molokai, which means don't be soft. It means don't be lazy. This word, effeminate, molokai, 
was not attributed to sexual activity until the late 1900s. I mean, 1800s. It was late 1860 when this word was finally just associated with sexual activity. Okay? And here's the thing. Okay? Things get lost in translation. And what's interesting is this verse isn't even talking about sexual immorality, but the place that's coming from. When you are inflamed with lust, the Bible is not defaming homosexuality. But it's defaming having a relationship based off of lust. Because there's different words for having relationships with men. The Bible uses two words, erasis and eraminos. But it does not refer to erasis or eraminos. Rather, it refers to molokai. Why? Because it's talking about all these things listed here. Okay, I'm going to read you the list again. Neither the sexually immoral, nor nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. This is the New English uh, translations. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is talking about exploitation, using someone to exploit them for your own personal gain. Do you see the list that this was grouped in? By the way, it says drunkards here. So the next time someone says, "Hey, you shouldn't be gay," the Bible says so. It's Tell them you should probably stop drinking alcohol because the same verse you're using to condemn me condemns you too. The irony. Romans chapter 1, people say, talk about gay sex. Okay, let's read it. Romans chapter 1, verse 26. Okay, because of this, God gave them over to to shameful lusts. Even their women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in, the, and, and received in themselves the due penalty for the error. That sounds pretty damning. Well, yeah, if you don't understand scripture. What does the word, where does these do these words exchange natural and shameful come from? Where else in the Greek does it show up in the Bible? It shows up here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? If a man has long hair, it is a disgrace. That same word, nat- nature, natural, and this word shame or disgrace, that, those are the same words in the Greek. So what this is talking about isn't that it's shameful to have long hair if you're a guy, but it's just not customary. And that's what he was saying over here in Romans. It's just not customary according to that tradition. And the only reason it's wrong, it's when it's perpetrated for personal use. So the next time someone says, hey, Romans chapter one, verse 26, you say, well, I mean, you're you're a lady with short hair. I mean, most feminists have short hair, right? That was a joke. So, Now, where does that lead us? This leads us to now not talking about in defense of homosexuality, but how the Bible actually, well, doesn't just condone it, but has examples of it. Do you know the Bible has examples of people swinging both ways? 
And this is going to trigger a lot of you because you lot, a lot of you aren't reading the scripture. You're not. You're just reading what people point to you to read because you've never read this. You've never read this. You've never read John chapter 13, verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. What do you call that? A disciple leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. My best friend, I would never lean on his bosom. And Leonardo da Vinci, when he painted this in The Last Supper, he had, he had his hand holding Jesus's. I would never do that to my best friend. Why? Because I don't swing that way. I, th that's just not me. But what would you say if you saw this at a restaurant? Someone leaning on someone else's bosom of the same sex, holding hands. And one of them refers to the other person as his lover. What do you call that? And who is this? This is your guy. This is Jesus. And guess what? This isn't the only time it says the disciple whom Jesus loved. Where else does it say it? John chapter 21, verse 20. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. The disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. Must have really loved them. This was one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until alive until I return, what is that to you? He said, what is that to you? What is that to you? If I want him to be here until I'm alive or until I return, what is that to you? Meaning, mind your own damn business. He says, again, the, 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 the scripture reiterates, re reiterates this and says, because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Jesus wanted him here because he loved him. And this man followed him. Now, when Jesus resurrected, when Jesus was you know, at the tomb, John chapter 19, verse 26, who was there? When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. When Jesus saw his mother there at the tomb and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here's your son. The disciple whom he loved followed Jesus, loved Jesus, wanted to make sure he was okay. That kind of sounds like they had a relationship of some sort. Does it not? So, we have here, uh, what is this? Matthew chapter 19, okay, verse 8. I highlighted this. I don't know why, but I'm going to read it. It says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better to not, not to marry. Jesus replied, this is the part I want to highlight. Not everyone can accept this word. Not everyone can accept this, meaning not everyone has the ears to hear. Not everyone has the consciousness to have this resonate, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs. What is a eunuch? We'll go over that. For there are eunuchs who are born that way. What? 
Yeah, he said, for there were eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So, this verse, this passage, is talking about eunuchs. What is a eunuch? A eunuch is a man who's castrated, a man who's mutilated. His private parts is mutilated. What does Jesus say? He says, if you can receive it, if you have the consciousness to have this resonate with you, if you've gone in within you and you've quieted the lower mind and you've quieted the beast that lives within you, slayed Goliath, and you've had a baptism of water, which is consciousness, and you are now residing in the right side of your brain, you can receive this. For there are eunuchs, there are males who were born that way. Without penis? No, without sexual attraction to women. This is what it's saying. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. This is not me talking. This is Jesus. He distinguishes three types of eunuchs. He says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. That is saying a whole other type of category. Eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. There are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of kingdom of heaven. Those people who abstain from sex for the purpose of spiritual enlightenment. So Jesus says here, there are eunuchs who were born that way. And you never hear that in the church. When's the last time you went into a church and someone said, you know, gay people, natural. They don't choose it. it, they're, They're born that way. When's the last time you said, you heard this verse from anyone, but this is Jesus. This is your guy. This is the guy that, that they love the fact that he died. Matthew chapter 22. We'll wrap this up. Verse 36. Someone asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Because we just went over the 631 commandments and how they're stupid. How they're outrageous. Don't get piercings. Right? Don't tattoo yourself. Don't cut the sides of your head. Right? If you're saying, if the people who tell you and point to Leviticus, Leviticus and says, hey, you shouldn't be sleeping with another man, other, with another man because of this verse... Tell them not to get a haircut. Tell them to stop eating pork. Or they point to, you know, the verse in Corinthians say, hey, you know, I get your point, but you should probably stop drinking too, you drunkard. The point of this is that love fulfills the law. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And who is God? What does Ezekiel say? When Moses talks to God, he says, I am that I am. When the people ask who sent you, say, I am has sent you. So when people ask Moses, who is God? What did Moses say? I am. Who sent you? I did. Who's God? I I am. I was told to say I am. So when people tell you or ask you who is God, I, I am. It's in the Bible. The verse goes on to say, and and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So that's why we can forget Leviticus. That's why we can forget all these commandments of do not, do not, do not, do not. Because these commandments hang on love. Hang on love. And if you understand what it means to love yourself, the God within you with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, then you will understand that these commandments 
are BS. And there's not even a reason for me to make this podcast, but because it is my duty to address the religious, to address this fear-based theology, this very divisive and, well, ignorant group of people, which I love, I do love, they raise me, right? This is my purpose, but, you know, it has to be addressed, okay? So, Another another point is um, Jesus broke the law. He was a lawbreaker. And here's just a little verse. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Luke chapter 13, verse 10. On the Sabbath, and the Bible says, do nothing on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. It says right here. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. Verse chapter four, verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days of work for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Jesus broke the law here. So people who say to you, oh, you're breaking the law of Leviticus. Well, so did Jesus. And the point of Jesus coming was to show you, hey, the point of all this is love. If you have love, then you have everything else. And the the biggest point I want to make is I want to go back to what I said about Jesus and the disciple who he loved and how that could be, you know, a relationship relationship. The person who put the Bible together, King James. King James, the actual King James who put the Bible together. You can look at this. Okay, read this for yourselves. I'm literally, I'm reading this from online. Okay, I've done the research. It's not a secret. Okay, the person who put the Bible together, King James, had a personal relationship with the first Duke of Buckingham, George. James and George. And it was no secret. And he says, the person, it was known, the person who put the Bible together was gay. The person who put your Bible together was gay. And he says, and I quote, I'm reading this, okay? I'm reading this. There's so many, so many, like, you can just type in gay love letters through the centuries, okay? And establish legitimate websites will pop up, okay? I wish to speak to you. I wish to speak in my own behalf and not to have it to thought and not to have it thought to be a defect, what, he, what, is he, what he's saying is, I wish to speak in my own behalf and not have it thought to be a defect. Meaning, my love for George should not be a defect. Why? I don't know if you're ready for this. I'm going to rewind it. I wish to speak in my own behalf and not to have it thought to be a defect. For Jesus Christ did the same. And therefore, I cannot be blamed. Christ had John and I have George. What did he just say? He said, do not think of what I do as a defect. My love for George, the first Duke of Buckingham. What a title. How can you not love someone, the first Duke of Buckingham, right? He says, I cannot be blamed. He says, for Jesus Christ did the same. Christ had John and I have George. You tell me what that says. You tell me what that's referencing. If that isn't a clear depiction of a fluid relationship. And you know, I asked Diana, what do you think Jesus was gay? Do you think he was bisexual? And she said, Jesus just loved. 
And that is the truth of all this. All this is love. It doesn't matter gender. It doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter these boxes and constructs and expectations and, and, these, and what's normal in society. Jesus came to show you none of this matters. Because Jesus is the consciousness. And the consciousness, when you really ascend, you realize the me that is you, the observer of the thoughts, there is no ranking. There is no gender there. There is no even thought. There's just pure consciousness. So we did a deep dive. I skipped Leviticus for a reason because I'm not going to talk about a book of the Bible that says, do not have tattoos. And what's ironic is that all the scripture that condemns homosexuality in your eyes in this next, in the same sentence condones or, or condemns things like drinking. And yet that's okay. And it, it condemns men having long hair and women having short hair and when, and men having ears piercings. Can we have a little consistency here? Can we finally understand that love is love? If you enjoyed this, feel free to share it with a friend. The point of this was to show you and expand your definition of love and prove to you that love is love. Jesus showed it to you through his love for John. And you can show it too if you're in the LGBTQ community for the love you have for your own beloved. I trust this resonated and I hope it helped you immensely. Refer to this as often as you need to. I wish you all the best on your journey. Have an amazing night. Bye. By the way, I just found two other verses that I was called to share with you. Okay. The first one being Romans chapter 13, verse 10 to point to you to a scripture that shows you that the purpose of this is love and that the law, the reason it's there is to show you that if you have love, then you have fulfilled it. Romans chapter 13, verse 10 says, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Again, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Luke chapter 11, verse 52. This is the last one I'm going to give you before I sign off here. It says, Woe unto you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in of yourselves. You entered not in yourselves. And them that were entering in, you hindered. This is Jesus. By the way, this is the same passage where uh, he's, he's criticized and indicted for uh, doing work on the Sabbath. He says, Woe unto you lawyers, you keepers of the law, you people who study the law. You have taken away the key of knowledge. Why? Because the key of knowledge is within. He says, you have not entered within yourselves. And that, that them that were entering in themselves, like Jesus did, you have hindered. Because Jesus went in himself. He quieted his mind. He meditated, entered into a realm of perfection because he's not operating on the consciousness of thought and fear. And he realized, dude, this social construct of not doing work on the Sabbath is crazy. I'm going to go do, heal some people. I'm going to do my ministry on a Sunday. And he says, woe to you, lawyers, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You have not entered in yourselves. And then that we're entering in, you hindered. Let that resonate. Read that first for yourself. Luke chapter 11, verse 52. And you will understand the depth of what Jesus said. They have taken away the key of knowledge. 
You enter not in your of yourselves. And what, what do they do if you don't enter within yourself? You make up all these stupid rules not based off of love. And you hinder people from going within. Who tells you to meditate? No one. Enter within yourself. The fulfillment of the law is love. Peace.